0: Um, wonderful words wonderful lyrics to that um, more than words because it's very apropos to what i'm talking about this morning and this is this is a subject that i really get impassioned about because so few people i think really it, it takes a while to get this down i just finished yesterday actually i just finished a book um The new, if you've seen it, it was reviewed in the in the Wall Street Journal back in the spring. As a great summer read, it's if you don't read a lot, it's about 800 pages. Called Alexander Hamilton, it's a new new book biography of Alexander Hamilton. I just finished it yesterday, and it's a fascinating book. I loved it. In fact, I I was on an airplane coming back from uh, visiting my uh, my parents in Ohio, and I just finished the book. And I was sitting next to a theater major, and uh, I, and I finished the book, and I, and I closed it, and I said, uh, I just finished that book. I was kind of proud of myself, you know. And, uh, and she looked at me, and it's a real thick book, and she says, that's a hell of a book. And I said, "What well, she said, and I said, it sure is, but we meant two different things, obviously. And uh, it, it is, what the author did in this book, and I highly recommend it, if you like history at all. It's just a wonderful book. What he did in this book was he traced Alexander Hamilton's roots all the way through? And the, por- the, the part, you know, the part that I really wanted to read it was about the duel with Aaron Burr, who was the grandson of Jonathan Edwards. Uh, just a fascinating little dynamic to me was how could this, this grandson of this great man of God, Jonathan Edwards, how could he get so screwed up? Um, um, I guess I'm showing my bias here on this duel, aren't I? But, um, uh, and I, I just couldn't wait to get, and of course, it was like the second to the last chapter or so before we got to the duel between, between Burr and, and Hamilton at Weehawken in New Jersey. And, and um, but what the author did that I really appreciated is he kept tracing, because one of my questions in going as I started reading that book was, how does a man as brilliant, I mean, Hamilton was brilliant coming up with a whole banking system for the United States, realizing that that this, this, this whole country needed to be based on commerce and not being an agrarian society. I mean, he was brilliant. He, he fought Jefferson tooth and nail. Who wanted an agrarian society? Can you believe that? He wanted a, a whole country based on agriculture. How, how much vision did that take? You know, which uh, I'm showing my biases here. But anyway... Uh, um, I read Hamilton, by the way, because I'd read John Adams last year, and I didn't like Hamilton after reading that. So now I suppose I need to read something about Thomas Jefferson. But anyway, the thing that the author did that was so fascinating to me was how he took Hamilton's roots, born in, in, uh, as an illegitimate child in, uh, in uh, one of the uh, Virgin Islands, what we now, now would call the Virgin Islands, and um, traced how throughout his life, didn't come to America until he was 17, Uh, basically because a a, a fairly well-off aunt wanted to send him to a university because he was so good with words that he went to King's College, which is now Columbia University. But the the author traced how that one part about his past, an illegitimate child, never left him, and how throughout his life he tried to, to make up for that. Because part of my question as I started that book was how did this brilliant man, probably near genius level, find himself in something as stupid as a duel? I mean, you know, it's just, how, how, this, isn't, this isn't smart, you know? Not, not to mention the fact they were illegal at the time and so forth in 1804, which is when the duel was. And the thing that that the author did, I thought just beautifully, was weaving this theme through the book of he was his honor meant the most to him, tracing it back to being born as an illegitimate child. actually, when you read the book and you read the story of, of his life, it's just he he was almost he was involved in one form or another in six different duels, only one of them that he was really a participant, and it kept coming back to his honor, and he would write, write some things. It kept coming back to the honor. i got to have my honor. It, it made me think about this, and this is what I'm talking about this morning. How many times when we're very insecure in our, in our roots, if I can use that, um, we do all kinds of sometimes stupid things. Now, we would never... I don't think most of us, at least here, would ever go into a duel with someone uh, to, to, to defend our honor. We've all done some pretty silly things, though, to try to prove our worth, whether it be running over people in business, or whether it be uh, marrying once and trying to prove to my husband or my wife throughout my whole life that I'm this or that or, or You know, having some sort of a vendetta against parents who didn't treat me the right way and I want to show them, I want to show them that I'm really worth something. What I want to show you this morning from the Bible, I think is just so huge because I want to put all that to rest. That can't be a happy way to live. Furthermore, that's never what God intended for you. That's never what God intended for his children, a way that God intended for his children to live either. So I want to show you that this morning. That's why I call this, uh, How Can I Get the Inside Track with God? And I want to just kind of get you to think along these lines with me. Inside track people are always looking for ways to do something, or in some cases not do some things, that will give them greater access and favor with God. To this person, it is what you do and don't do that defines your relationship or your standing before God. I mean, if, if you have had any history with any kind of church... Maybe you heard this, or maybe you don't have that much history with a church, but maybe you have seen a movie or read a book or something where you hear people talking a lot about. Well, this is what I do because because I believe I'm a follower of Jesus, or or I don't do this because of this. And some of us were had those kind of backgrounds. So I want to just get you to think along those lines with me. I've got a, a few things here, some ways that that these kind of people look. Just this is just sort of um, speaking in in at least in, in, in language that we can maybe make a, uh, a physical description. First one is this. Just think it. constantly aware of their behavior. Constantly aware of uh, they're trying to get an inside track with the guy, they're constantly aware of what I'm doing or, in some cases, what I'm not doing. Sometimes I've asked people before, are you a person of faith? And they'll say, yeah. And I always like to ask a lot of questions, and I'll say, well, why? Well, not all the time. But most of the time, people, well, because I do this, and I do this, and, and I care for the poor, and, and I don't do this, and I don't. And I always say, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm about being a person of faith. I didn't ask you what you did and what you didn't do. You know, it's amazing how we go there. And it just kind of shows. Constantly aware of behavior. Dotted I's, crossed E's. Uh, they have a sizable list. I've already touched. I have a sizable list of do's and don'ts. Their emphasis is upon the externals. And their discussions and their thoughts center in on behavior. So all those things are right there. Just boom. Hit them real quick. All right? Um, these are what I would call inside track people. People trying to get an inside track. With God, people who are trying to prove their worth, people who, like Hamilton, might do something really stupid to show that they have honor, which ended up costing him his life. Of course, Um, hope I didn't ruin the end of the book for you. But if you didn't know your history, that's how it ends. Okay, Um, just uh, just for the record. But um, that's inside track people, and I obviously want to take this not just as it applies to you and your. You know, parents or lack of, um, I want to take this to something far deeper. That is your spiritual parent, a relationship with God. Because I, I really believe if you get this down in terms of your relationship with God, the rest will take care of itself. All of us, I mean, all of us come from different kinds of homes. None of us had perfect parents. Some of us are dealing with that. Some of us have dealt with that. Some of us are... You know, still trying to figure that all that out. So, if we really get to the most important relationship that we have, whether we recognize it or not, is a relationship with our Heavenly Father, the rest will take care of itself. So, that's where I wanted. I wanted to go right to the base, right to the root of this problem, since that's the. The the word of the day there, the root of this problem. I want to take you to a couple of passages of of Scripture very quickly and then just draw some bottom line conclusions and get you to think along with me, all right? First one comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. God saved you by his special favor when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. This is a a God thing, he says. Um, Next passage is in Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. You were dead. Speaking spiritually now. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins. Did you get that? He forgave all our sins. Not some of them. Not some of them and the rest I have to do some other kind of thing for. All my sins. He canceled the record that contained the charges against us. He took it and destroyed it by nailing it to the cross. I just want to stop there just for a minute. Get you to think with me. This is basic stuff. This is basic spirituality, basic Bible 101. But for some reason, it's so hard for people to grasp because they're told that, well, you did this and you did that, and therefore you need to go do this in order to pay for your sins. You know, I have a sort of a fun thing that I do, and I've I, I got to be careful with it because sometimes it's not always interpreted as fun. Someone will say, oh, I've got a cold, or I'm sick, i got the flu. And I'll say, oh, it must be your sins. And... Uh, they'll say, oh, yeah, yeah. Then the truth is, and I always add this, I said, no, that's not right, because it was because of your sins, you'd be dead. <laughs> and then I have to add this, and so would I. Um, sometimes we get that view, that we, we we are, somehow have bad things happen to us, whether it be health or something else. Some people even believe, as silly as it sounds, some people even believe that if you have enough faith and if you're right with God, you'll never get sick or you'll be healed, and that's Gosh, that's really silly. Um, and it's certainly not in the Bible. And it's certainly some people who are misguided. I remember, I remember being a very young pastor. I remember this vividly. I was 20. I had just become a pastor of a church. 27. You know, and that's way too young, just for the record. Because you don't know. I'm sorry for those of you guys who are in your 20s. But you just don't know nothing when you're in your 20s, all right? Anyway, I can say that now, and I can tell you I love you. But, um, um, and I walked into a hotel room. I'm, I'm sorry, a, uh. Hospital room to visit a, an elderly person who who had cancer, and they said to me, "I'll never forget this as long as I live." They said to me, uh, as I was walking in, somebody else was walking out, and and the and the dear dear sweet lady says to me, "They told me that I'm sick and that I have cancer because I don't have enough faith, or I would be healed." Uh, and I just I just couldn't believe that some. Idiot would say that to somebody that's so incredibly stupid, inane, idiotic, unbiblical, and I could go on and on. Some people believe that, and, I've, and, I, and I don't mean to be so. Nay, yeah, yeah, I do too. Those uh, I don't mean to be so rough on them, but I just think it's so. It's it's just it's it hurts people, and I hate that when I see people hurt because of that. So my point is this: you're not sick because of your sins, or we'd all be dead. Okay. You're not, bad things don't happen. Okay, yeah, are there consequences for certain sins? Yes, there are, certainly. If I lie, steal, and cheat, and I get some insider trading in the stock market, I'm probably going to go to jail because of my sins. Okay, that's obvious, especially if I get caught. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, is there some kind of a divine, providential retribution against me because I have sinned? Thank god they 're no Are we 're all there that 's why Jesus came to bring grace and forgiveness and that 's what I want you to understand and Some people think that they 've got to somehow live some kind of a life of, of doing and doing and not doing and not doing these things all of their lives in order to to get the inside track with god and and, and I, one of the things I hope to accomplish here this morning is to put you at rest to say. Don't worry about that. Don't do that. I'm going to show you why as we move on. So back to this verse that I'm talking about here when he says this. He says, He forgave all our sins. Not some of them. Not all of them except those that are going to make me sick. Not all of them except those that are going to make me all of our sins. And the Greek word there is a it's a very interesting Greek word, Panta. It means all everything, period. And of course, part of the discussion during the Reformation was, well, is that all of our sins up until we come to faith? Or is that all of our sins, you know, it, 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 up, until the, up until that time and then our future sins are not dealt with by Christ? And then we have to do something, some kind of repentance or something to take care of our future sins? Here's what you need to understand. All your sins were future when Christ went to the cross. They were all future. It's all your sins. And you can take great Not my words, they're God's. He forgave all our sins, period. That's it. Now, I want to take you to one other passage of Scripture before I start giving you these these thoughts. Galatians 5, this is in the message paraphrase, great paraphrase I like to use from time to time. Uh, Christ has set us free to live a free life. This is good. So take your stand. Never again let anyone put a harness of slavery on you. I am emphatic about this. The moment any one of you submits to circumcision or any other rule-keeping system, at that same moment, Christ's hard-won gift of freedom is squandered. I repeat my warning, the person who accepts the ways of circumcision trades all the advantages of the free life in Christ for the obligations of the slave life of the law i suspect that you never intend this but this is what happens when you attempt to live by your own religious plans and projects and i would add those that others put on us you're cut off from christ you fall you fall out of grace meanwhile we expectantly wait for a satisfying relationship with the spirit for in christ neither or most conscientious religion nor disregard of religion amounts to anything what matters is something far more, I love this, the way they say this, what matters is something far more interior, faith expressed in love. Something far more interior. It's inside. I want to show you just, I don't want to do, a, want to do an information download thing here, but I want to show you just four very simple, what I call conclusions. When a person trusts Christ with their life. And I'm going to show you that. Conclusions for the ones who trust in Christ, whoever whoever they are. The first one is very simple. I've got it right there. You are in. You have the inside track with God, not by what you've done, not by what you haven't done, but because of the fact that you've simply trusted Christ. Let me show you just a verse again real quick. Colossians 2, you were dead. Remember this? I just read that just talked about verse 14 he canceled the record that contained the charges against us he took it and destroyed it by nailing it to the cross of christ or Christ's cross. you don't have to do earn or clean up anything to be acceptable to god none of us would ever get there some people say well quit doing this and quit doing this and then come to christ and you know what christ loves you where you are and how you are and you know you come here's what i know when you come to christ and you submit your life to Christ, He has a way of working on individuals internally. And that affects the exterior. That's why you don't hear a lot of do's and don'ts from me. Because I'm not really worried about that. I'm not really worried about the person last night who was doing all the things, if you're one of those folks, all the things they shouldn't have been doing. I'm not worried about it. I'm concerned about coming to Christ. I have enough trust, because I know how what God has done in my own life, in my own heart. I know there have been times when there have been things that nobody else would have known about. Nobody else would have ever known about that were just in here, just in my heart, just in my conscience, that weren't acceptable to God. And God had a way of saying, Rich, shouldn't be going there with that. Shouldn't be thinking about that. Shouldn't be going to that kind of stuff in your thought life. Nobody would ever have known. Nobody told me not to do this or to do that. But when God does that work on the inside, he has a way of working in our hearts and in our lives. Um, there's no place for God-pleasing, I say that with, in quotation marks, rule-keeping, thinking that somehow I can earn God's favor or earn the inside track. You can't. You just can't do enough. So quit trying. I mean, just, just, just come to Christ. Now, is that, am I preaching antinomianism? Am I saying you, shouldn't, you should be an antinomian, no law? Not saying that at all. We have principles. I have, I have a lot of principles and convictions, and which things that I will live, things that I'll do, things that I won't do, things that I've arrived at in my own relationship with God, and things that I'm careful, and I have to be careful about this, that I don't try to lay upon my, especially when we had kids at home, that I don't try to lay upon my kids as this is how you got to do this, because they're good things. And we do the short circuit part of that, and we try to get all the externals without getting the internals. That doesn't mean that you let your kids run wild and you don't have discipline. Certainly you do, but you make sure you call it what it is. And make sure this, this isn't going to earn you any points with God, but this is what we gotta have to have a civil home. That's a different deal. And we need to understand that. So that's the first thing. You're in. You're in with God. You got inside track of, you're, you're in. Okay? You come to Christ in faith, you're in. You have as much access as I do, you have as much access as the Pope in Rome. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. You have as much access as anybody. Mother Teresa, great, some of these great people of the faith. We're all equal in God's eyes. So that's the first thing. Second thing is this. You're secure. This is what I wish somebody could have made Alexander Hamilton understand, as I talked about in the beginning. Because you, you, you see that little strain. And in his case, it wasn't just a spiritual thing. It was also a, a, a family thing. It wasn't secure. Let me show you Ephesians 2. We looked at this moment ago. God saved you by His special favor. When you believed. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Um, once you have trusted God, you're secure in Him. And let me let me kind of define that for you here. And I got some just some words to make you, get you to think about that. You're not going to ever be deserted by God? That's an important issue. You're never going to be God's never going to desert you. There are many verses that talk about I'll never leave you. He won't do that. Many times in the Bible he says that. His forgiveness knows no limits or knows no boundaries. You say, can I do this? And God's going to forgive you. Issue that always comes up when you talk about that is, well, that means that I can go live any way I want to live. And I know God's going to forgive me. You know what? That's true. You can. But here's what I know. I know that when it's an internal thing, you don't want to just live any way you want to live. Is the, there's a, there's a, a desire in your heart to please God with how you live. So that, that argument doesn't even, doesn't even work. Another thing, when we talk about this, you, you, you can knock off the guilt trip stuff. There, let me give you a, a correlation to this. We're in the political season. Every time that we hear political stuff, we hear, Well, they're, gone. they're not going to have as much negative campaigning this year. You know, every year, every year you hear that, don't you? Every, every, okay, how come be? and of course, there's always the old thing that I saw the other day on one of the political shows that they says, you know, there's, there's, now there's more bitterness in this political campaign than ever before in history. And I'm like, do you ever read history? <laughs> do I see people lining up across each other with guns? You know, that's, that's Bitterness. No, I mean, there's nothing, uh, nothing. Uh, what they, what they, no, first, man, first three and four, first three or four presidents there, except for Washington, there was some really some bitterness. But anyway, what happens? Here's, here's the thing about political campaigning. They always say we're going to stay away, we're going to stay away from negative campaigning. Let me let me just tell you, let me help you with this, okay? There will always be negative campaigning. Do you know why? It works. It works. People get elected with negative campaigning. I'm sorry, that's just life. You know, and they can say, well, we're not going to negative campaign, but he's an idiot, you know. Uh, we're not going to be negative campaigning, but he's an idiot, and he's dumb, and he's an aristocrat, and he's a northeastern blue blood, whatever. You know, and, and, and they go into the whole thing, okay. There will always be negative campaigning because it works. Correlation. Churches and people who are around churches will always use guilt because it works. But God has a better way. And it's never through guilt. It's through love. And if you come to God and you come to Christ and you try to live a life for Him that's just desirous of loving God, and what He tells us really, what Jesus tells us the most important commandment love God. And the second most important thing is love people. That's, that's, what, that's God's way. Does guilt work? Yeah. Ask a lot of moms. It works. Um, hopefully you don't have to resort to that kind of stuff because that's not God's way. And I don't think it should be our way as a result. And that's very important for us to understand. And those of us who are parents probably have had to deal with that or maybe you are dealing with that at different times in our lives, don't do that to your kids, whatever their age. Don't do that. God doesn't do that to you and has nothing to do. Guilt is a wonderful thing. It comes upon me when I know I've done something wrong and I come to God or go to the person and say, I've done something wrong and I'm sorry. That's the sole purpose of it. It is never to be a manipulative tool as it often is. And God doesn't do that. And anybody that tells you that he does doesn't understand God and they don't get that from the Bible. They don't. And this is is a big deal to me. We are secure in, in, in Christ when we come to him in faith and it's never a thing about guilt. It's a thing about love. And I love telling people when they ask us about our church, because people are always saying, Renaissance church, who who are you affiliated with? And I say, no one, no group. We're just about loving God and loving people. And people, use, oh, really? Well, how different? I say, yeah, it's really different. It's in the Bible 2,000 years ago. We didn't invent it. And we were just trying to follow it. Um. So there, that's 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 the whole thing. One last thing on that: there's a sense of assurance that affects other relationships. When you're secure, and I believe it really goes back to a security in in, in the most important relationship in life, that of the God the Father. It affects every other area of your life. You're secure i i i have a you know obviously we all have little insecurities about our looks or about our golf swings or whatever it happens to be but but when we're really understanding have an understanding of god's secure love for me it gives me a great deal of more confidence just to interact in life to know hey god loves me just like i am and and has welcomed me as a part of his family just for who I am. I didn't earn it, nor could I. And with all of, with all, as my professor of counseling used to say, he loves us with all the warts on our nose and everything. If you have a wart on your nose, I apologize. But you understand the point, metaphorically speaking. He loves us like that, and he does. And I think that's an important issue. So there you go. Conclusion, number one, you're in with God. Number two, you're secure. Number three, you're a grace product. You're a grace product. Again, from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, God saved you by a special favor. You can't take credit. It's a gift from God. Special favor there, also translated grace. Colossians 2, 13, you were dead, but because of your, sin, uh, because of your sins, same verse that we said, he forgave us our sins. It was all grace. You become a grace creature. Now, we did the other thing earlier. What, is a, what, is this, what does a person look like that's uh, that's all the that other stuff going on? I want to just take it real quick, show you what a grace product looks like. All right. He's forgiven or she's forgiven and knows they can't be bogged down by past junk. They know that. They have a good understanding of that. And that's cool. They are, this is my favorite one, phenomenally thankful people. You know, and that's one of the things that God continues to tell us about. Be thankful, be thankful. These people are thankful people. I used to have a friend. I still have a friend. don't get to see him much anymore. But he's one of the most thankful guys I know. And you could be playing golf in the middle of a downpour and, you know, slicing the ball every which way. And he's one of those guys. Isn't it great to be here? Isn't it terrific? Just love being around him. He's just so thankful. For those of you who don't know, that's not a good thing to be in golf, in a downpour slicing the ball. I've been there many times. And, um, but he just was just, just, he's just a great guy to be around because he's so thankful. Now, I'm not, this, my, my talk here is not to tell you how to be a likable person, but I will tell you this, just a sort of a little side benefit. The people that you really enjoy being around the most, I, I would bet, I would bet are those people who are just thankful. Because the opposite of being thankful are the people who gripe and complain and moan and groan and all the other kind of stuff. And you're like, who wants to be around them? God knows what he's talking about here. With us. So these people who understand grace, they're just thankful because they know whatever they have, wherever they are, it's more than they deserve. And that's by God's grace. Um, last thing, real simple. These people just exemplify grace in how they live. They just, they're graceful people. One of, the, one of the things that we need to understand is that if we who have understood what it means to have God's grace in our lives, if we are not the most gracious people, it can be a contradiction. One of the quotes that I love from Man of La Mancha, Don Quixote's quote to uh, whatever her name was, um, Dulcinea uh, was, uh, she says, what what are you about, what are you about, what are you about? He says, I just seek to bring a little more grace to life, to the world. I like that. seek to bring a little more grace those of us who've come to faith in christ ought to be at the head of the class in that department wherever we are bringing a little more grace to the world last little concluding thought let me close with this you're free you know those of you who are regular here know i just really go off on this because i love this freedom thing um Galatians 5, we read it earlier, Christ has set us free to live a free life, so take your stand. Never again let anyone put a harness of slavery around you. We're free. We're free to live, to interact, be with people. We're free in a relationship with God. We're not bound down by rules and regulations and all this other kind of stuff or the church ordinances and the church this and the church that and all the other kinds of, we're free we're just free and I, I just love that truth we're free to pursue a relationship with god we're free to to live the life to be the person that god has always desired us to be and created us to be not to make us all alike not to put us in a cookie-cutter mold that we all have to look a certain way and talk a certain way and be a certain way and not do these certain things, not do these certain things, but do these certain things. We're free to be the person that God created us to be. That's one of the concluding things when you talk about trusting Christ that I just, I get really fired up about. So we talk about having an inside track with God, or as, as, I, as I think we put it in the title, um, how, uh, learning how to get on God's good side. You come to faith, you come to faith in Christ and you understand that you have the end with God. You understand that you're secure. You understand that you're a grace product and you understand that you're free. You know, it begins when we come to Christ and say, Lord, right now, right here, wherever I am, here, later, somewhere else, it begins when I just say, Lord, right here, right now, I just want to give my life to you. And you can do that here, or anywhere. But then it just—it just keeps going after that. Maybe you've done that, and uh, maybe you haven't. I'd invite you to—to—to to, to, to pursue that. But maybe you've done that. Then it begins, or it continues on. As we say, Lord, continue to work in my—continue to give me an understanding, not just mental, but a heart understanding, of what it means. To really understand this whole freedom thing, this whole thing of what it means to come to faith in Christ and to have the, the freedom and, the, and the, understand the in, the security that I have in you. I believe God will give us that as we seek that. Let's pray together. Lord, these are, um, these are truths that will affect how we live. These are things, Lord, that as we understand them will change lives, will change families will change people who do foolish things and trying to, to prove their worth or, or try to defend their honor or, or some other crazy thing, who do crazy, these are things that will change that to understand if the God of the universe, the creator of the world, loves me and accepts me for who I am. Nothing else is important. Lord, those are great words, but help us to understand them. Help us to to really grab those words and and get them into our heart and into our mind. That you do love us in that way. You care about us in that way. Lord, we, we, we come to you in gratefulness, thanking you for your love. Thanking you for your grace. And asking that those of us who've come to trust you, that we would be models of that grace wherever we are and wherever we go. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.